thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to the Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damian Kristoff, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to the Wellness Guys Show. I'm Lawrence Tam. And I'm Brett Hill. This is the Wellness Guy Show, weekly show dedicated to bringing wellness to our lives. Brett, you, me, Damien is uh, unfortunately pulled away because uh, he had to deal <laughs> with an emergency. Um, but man, Brett, it's great to be back on the show. I know I've been away for a little Hi. while and uh, you guys have been holding I'm the I'm even fort. on time this time, Lauren. <laughs> you are. Last time I had to carry the show for a little while. But uh, <laughs> hey, but more importantly though, we, you know, it's, it's, uh, you, you fought through resiliency and you came back uh, strong in the last yeah. interview. So thank you so much for being there. I got, but, I got, I got my breath back as the interview went on yeah that's right that's right well you know i'm really excited about this interview because uh i think it's probably best that we you and i actually be doing the person who's interviewing the next guest special guest for today because uh we've been you know uh been promoting and talking about this book on resilience and and uh we have a uh, uh, i guess you know talking about mindset uh this is gonna be my specialty so uh let's introduce our guest for today um our guest today is uh his name is uh dr timothy sharp uh she he has three degrees in psychology uh including a phd an impressive record of an academic clinician and coach. Uh, he set up one of the Sydney's largest clinical psychology practices um, and highly regarded ex- executive coaching practices and his founder uh, and CHO. The CHO stands for Chief Happiness Officer of the Happiness Institute, uh, Australia's first organization devoted solely to enhancing happiness in individual families and organizations. Um, definitely, he's the smartest person in this conversation. Again, uh, Dr. Tim Sharp, thank you. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, and uh, thanks for the thanks for the very positive introduction. Um, you know, Dr. Sharp, uh, it's it's obviously amazing to be able to, uh, um, to to interview you. But more importantly, I I, I love when I was doing some research on you. Um, it's always fascinating to me when uh, we we get uh, very creative and, and having creative titles. And I love to know a little bit more. The first thing I'm going to ask you is the CHO of the Happiness <laughs> Institute. Where did you come up with Chief Happiness Officer? What does that actually mean? Um. Well, where did it come up from? To be honest, I, I, I can't exactly remember. I, I set up the Happiness Institute 15 years ago, um, so uh, my memory's failing me a little bit. But I, I think, if, if I recall correctly, it came about because when we were coming up with titles, and um, I, I think CEO, uh, Chief Executive Officer, sounded a bit too serious for something like the Happiness Institute. <laughs> and I think it also sounded like I should be a lot older. So I think we, we bounced around a few ideas and... Um, uh, and came up with Chief Happiness Officer, which at the time, I think was the first one in Australia. I'm pretty sure it was. Now, um, I don't know if you've, if you've seen, but around the world, it's actually been a bit of a trend. There are Chief Happiness Officers in a number of organisations, but certainly 15 years ago, it was, if not the first one, the first in it. Um, and it, it went down really well, because like you've just said, it, it always kind of gets a bit of a smile and a laugh and a and, a, and, a, and an inquiring question, which is which is great. That's what we want, we want people to be, um, you know, responding positively when they hear the name the Happiness Institute, and uh, hopefully when they hear my title. <laughs> I love that you're you're just spreading happiness all over the world with these uh, happiness officers, Tim. Well, it's a that's a good influence to have. Um, I'm curious <laughs> about your three degrees in psychology, Tim, because I've got two degrees, and I, I did a health science degree, and then I did my masters in chiropractic. And that took six years, and that was more than enough for me. Like the idea of going back for a third one, I was just like, "Oh my god!" I would didn't, wouldn't even have thought about it. So, why have you got three degrees in psychology, and how did it come about that you felt like three was the magical number? Uh, 
I think they, well, I guess I started out on a similar path to you in a sense. I did my, um, or my, my undergraduate degree was actually a Bachelor of Science with honours in psychology. I then did a, a clinical master's degree, so um, in clinical psychology. Um, but at that time, or around that time, my goal then uh, was to become an academic, um, which is why I did the PhD. So I had a, a very supportive mentor at the time who who ran, who was the director of the clinical master's program and also my first supervisor and my first um, employer. And he was very keen um, on you know, what's referred to as clinical academia. So it's about being a practitioner and a researcher at the same time. And I, I love that idea because I, I, I liked research and I liked academia, but I, I'm very much a practitioner. I like to do and I like to deliver and I like to apply. So so the PhD, well, it's essentially, it's necessary to, to get into academia in, in most institutions anyway. Um, and I thoroughly enjoyed that. I, I was working full-time at, at the same time, so um, it was a little bit different. You know, obviously wasn't studying full-time, but um, that's, so that's why I went on to that third degree. Um, subsequently, I changed direction slightly, um, but uh, I, I look back on it very fondly. It, it was a long time studying, but it was also a fantastically stimulating and enjoyable period as well. You know, uh, Dr. Tim, uh, one of the, in our last interview, we, we interviewed uh, Dr. Kelly Brogan, and we talked a lot about woman depression, uh, depression, especially in women. And, and now we're actually, you know, flipping the other side of the corner, we're focusing on the happiness. What do you think the trends are right now in terms of society? You know, is it is there a need for happiness? Or is it like, is it something that is a, a ongoing trend that's happening? Or is it going backwards? What what do you think the need is? Because obviously, you coach a lot of especially in the in the corporate world, you know, what's actually happening to society at the moment? Yeah, look, it's a, it's a very interesting question. I, I get asked versions of that all the time. In fact, just the other day I was talking to someone and he said, you know, are things so bad uh, in our society that we need a happiness institute? And I thought that, well, one, that was a bit of a, um, a negatively framed question because I think um, look, the, the reality is if you look back through the ages, uh, if you look back not just over the last few years or decades but centuries and millennia, humans have always sought happiness in one way or other. Uh, all the major, you know, all the great philosophers, uh, all of the major religions in some way or other have touched upon the idea of happiness, the pursuit of happiness. So you know, it's not a new concept at all. Uh, what is new, I suppose, or, or relatively new in the, you know, in the last, um, well, 15 to 20 years, is what's technically called the science of positive psychology. Mm. Um, that's a little bit, it's not exactly the same as happiness. It's more more technically, it's about thriving and flourishing, um, of which happiness is a part, and there are other components as well. But I guess what what has changed, uh, and if you're talking about the trends, I suppose, is that there is now, uh, much more so than ever before, you know, prior to 20 years ago, a, a really solid body of science, a, an empirical library that's increasingly building up, supporting not just what we think might work, but what we really know does work. And um, particularly, you mentioned the corporate world, which which is where I do a lot of my work. That's very important there because they want to know that stuff's going to work. They want to know if they're paying for things, there's going to be a return on investment, and that's fair enough. And what we're what we are seeing, well, the trends are, are, are playing out in a number of different directions. But certainly in the corporate world, uh, at the risk of oversimplifying, what we're seeing is that happiness at work is a very beneficial thing. That happy employees are better employees. They're more productive. They collaborate better. Uh, you know the less sickly, they're more creative, etc. Uh, but what we're also seeing it in some other fascinating areas. I've, I've also worked quite a lot with schools, and we're seeing that um, you know, happiness and positivity in the classroom is beneficial. Kids learn better 
when they feel good. Um, again, that's a bit of a simplification, but um, so I guess that you know we're seeing the influences of positive psychology pretty much in every area of life. We're seeing positive therapies, we're seeing positive education, we're seeing positive corporations and organisations, and um, I think that's a great thing, obviously. What we do need to make sure, however, is that people understand happiness uh, for what it really is and not for what it isn't. So it's not about smiling and laughing every minute of every day. It's not about feeling good every minute of every day. Um, it's not even just about feeling good. It's about much more than that. So I, spend, I guess I spend a lot of my time helping people properly define and understand what happiness really is and what it isn't because if we don't know what it is, then we're never going to hit the mark. You know, I, I, I'm going to have a follow-up question in regard to the statement that you just made. And you, talk, you said the pursuit of happiness. And um, I would love to, to know your insight on this is that is it more about what humans are, dri- are striving for is the pursuit of the happiness and what you know that makes us happy or the actual outcome that actually makes us mm. happy? Yeah, really good question. And I'm going to apologize and or slap, my, slap myself across the top of the head because I don't actually <laughs> like that phrase. I'm surprised I used it. I usually don't use it because I, I talk a lot about, I mean, happiness isn't something we should pursue. Mm. Uh, happiness is something we create through our actions. Um, and I know that's sort of getting a little bit semantic or, you know, it's a, a bit, um, uh, you know, it might be playing with words, but I think it is important because if you're constantly chasing something, um, you'll often you'll, you'll never really get there. It's, it'll always sort of be that one step ahead of you. Mm. Um, whereas if we if we work on creating it um, through our actions, so each and every day, the choices I make, uh, the actions I take, um, if they're the right sorts of things, and they, they would differ for different people, um, and they'll even differ for the same person at different stages of their life. So you know what I what works for me now isn't the same as what worked for me 10 years ago or or even five years ago so so but if i if i do the right things for me given my circumstances you know where i am at life etc um then by doing the right sorts of things uh, i will enjoy happiness as a result um and i think that is a bit of a technical but it's an important difference to make because if you um, just focus on happiness all the time um it, it can actually lead to some frustration and disappointment and that's one of the ways some people go wrong well, and I'm kind of fascinated by that, Tim, because that kind of, for me, makes me feel a bit weird about doing all this research to figure out how to create happiness. Because it seems like it's almost like, you know, by by thinking too much about what we have to do to create happiness, we're making it a very, I guess, cerebral approach to it. Whereas perhaps perhaps to be happy, what we need to do is is think less about it and just work on creating happiness or being happy i mean do you get what i'm asking like is, yeah, yeah. It, is it something we can think too much about oh definitely um and uh you know so, so overthinking in any area of life can be problematic um and there certainly are people uh, and and given what i do i fall into this trap sometimes i can you know, I, one of my <laughs> one of the things i need to be careful about is thinking and talking too much about happiness which might sound strange but, but the other thing to keep in mind is um and this is you know, this is one of the really important findings from the research might sound obvious, but it does deserve restating. We're all different, mm. and so the the ultimate, uh, you know, the the the, the, ulti- the 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 formula that will ultimately work best for me uh, might not be the same formula that will ultimately work best for you or anyone out there listening to this. Um, uh, for some people, focusing on happiness can be very helpful. You know, in fact, some people do need to think more about it and more actively work towards it. But for other people, it might actually be thinking more about other people. 
you know, forget about yourself for a while. Think about other people. It might be more about doing good for others rather than doing good for me. So it is, uh, and again, that can vary from different people at different stages of life. Um, but it is really important in that happiness isn't one of those things. You, you can't just look it up in a book. You can't just copy it from some other person. We can learn from books and other people, but we've also got to find our own path, our own uh, combination, whichever way, you know, whichever metaphors you want to use. And um, uh, again, for some people, it might be directly focusing on happiness and directly working towards it. For other people, it might be a more indirect path. And is that one of the challenges with researching happiness, Tim, that, you know, a lot of the time research will end up sort of finding the average solution that works yeah. for the average person, but is not necessarily helping you to figure out what's going to help this individual be happy? Yeah, 100%. And, and this, um, uh, I think you know, Lauren sort of touched on this in a, in a slightly different way in a question he just asked a minute or two ago. But if, you know, if you're looking at the trends in positive psychology, um, if I go back, you know, sort of 10 years ago or in the, you know, in the early 10 to 15 years ago, in the early phases of positive psychology, um, this is what we were doing. Exactly as you said, they were finding these sort of big general findings, overgeneralizations. Um, but that was important. That was the important first step, you know. So we know... Uh, optimism is important. We know that good quality relationships are important. We know that purpose and meaning is important. These are kind of the, you know, the big pillars. What we're now seeing, you know, 10, 15 years later, as positive psychology is becoming much more mature and sophisticated, is we're now fine-tuning that a lot. And one of the hot areas, one of the uh, trends, so to speak, is um, uh, what, what some people call, you know, person to intervention fit you know what's the right fit for that particular person the right combination so so we're now actually getting much more sophisticated and we're fine-tuning and saying okay well we know for example that good quality you know, so relationships are important there's no doubt about it that happiness is not just a solo sport it's about our family our loved ones our friends our colleagues etc however what we also know is that people are different and so um, again at the risk of oversimplifying what relationships look like for, say, someone who's a bit more on the extroversion scale, end of the scale compared to someone who's more introverted, those relationships will look different. So those different people need to, they, st they, they still need to work on relationships, but probably in a different way. Hmm. So, I hope that made sense. <laughs> Yeah, the, one of the questions I actually had around this is that, you know, is it as simple, and, and I'm just very simplifying this, is it as simple as to be more happy is to have lower expectations? And if so, is that a danger in a sense of um, of us humans pursuing, you know, like I said, quote unquote, pursuing or going after things that to really create, um, you know, finding the, the best of ourselves? Yeah, look, that, so that expectation one, that's, uh, that's commonly referred to and it's, it's commonly talked about. It's a, um, uh, the, the, it's a tricky one because I, I have a bit of a problem with encouraging people to set low expectations. Um, however, uh, what we know, we know that one of the killers of happiness can be unrealistic expectations. Mm. So I guess I, 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 think, I think you've hit on an important point, but I would use slightly different language rather than high or low expectations, mm -hmm. I encourage people to set um, realistic but also inspirational and have inspirational expectations or set realistic but, you know, motivating goals is a slightly different area. But mm -hmm. because, so, you know, we certainly don't want to be unrealistic. If you're unrealistic about, if your expectations for life or your expectations for other people are unrealistic, then there's no doubt you'll spend a lot of your time frustrated and disappointed. Um, However, if we set our expectations too low, then we'll never really achieve anything. We'll, we'll kind of have an okay life, but not a great life. 
So I, again, I, I tend to focus on what's realistic, what's helpful, but also what, uh, in a, again, in a different context, we talk about stretch goals. But you know, so those expectations should also be, you know, looking for the best and, and aiming for the best and hoping for the best. And that's, you know, sometimes that's a tricky balancing act. But if we get that right, then we're more likely to enjoy happiness. Well, and Tim, that kind of reminds me of some stuff that Lawrence has actually talked about on this show before, where he talked about having a really big vision. Uh, but having mm. perhaps more realistic goals, you know, so so it's okay to have a really big vision of where you'd like to end up in the long run, but then you have to sort of chunk it down into some more realistic goals so that you can get wins along the way, I guess, for, for want of a better word. Is that, does that sort of fit with what we're talking about? Oh, 100%, totally agree. In fact, uh, just before this, I was just in a meeting, totally different context, but I was talking to people and the, the idea came up about you know, is it about the journey or the destination? You know, that sort of classic, uh, mm. um, classic metaphor again. And, um, and and my answer is, it's about both. Um, mm. It's uh, the journey's obviously important. We want to enjoy every step along the way or appreciate every step on the way. But it also feels bloody good to get to the end. You know, to cross that finishing line, to tick off that to-do list, to achieve or accomplish something. So, you know, too often I think these sorts of things are seen as mutually exclusive, or we view them in a black and white way. But Again, I, I honestly think it's about both. We, we, you know, again, you want to have that big, hairy, audacious goal, that positive vision that's going to inspire and motivate you. But uh, I totally agree. You then want to break that down. Um, okay, to you know, what exactly do I need to do today? And then what do I need to do tomorrow? What do I need to do next week? And that's where it becomes much more practical and realistic, but should tie in to those, um, you know, bigger, more audacious, more more inspiring uh, ambitions as well. You know, one of the biggest challenges that people have around mindset is that, you know, they, th we, you know, the person thinks that their problem is the, they're the only person who actually has a problem, um, that no one else has a struggle or obstacle that's standing in your way. Um, and, you know, you just written a book that just got released a month ago called Transformation, which is turning tragedy into triumph. Um, you know, it was a collection of stories of people who've been able to overcome, you know, adversities. Uh, could you talk a little bit about what was some of the, when you're researching the book and publishing the book, what were some of the th common themes that you found, uh, in the human characteristics or their mental mindset that allows them, someone to be able to transform their life uh, f uh, and take something that, you know, it's obviously traumatic for that person and able to, um, you know, transform something that actually becomes a triumph versus someone who, you know, experiences tragedy in their life but never come out of it. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, first, it was a fascinating process. Um, uh, it was thoroughly enjoyable and stimulating and um, uh, an honor to, to, to talk to and meet and you know, work with some of these people because there are some truly amazing stories, some people who have overcome. Uh, well, look, some of them are just sort of normal day-to-day -day difficulties, um, but some of them are quite, uh, quite horrific and you know, that would challenge, um, challenge anyone significantly. So the fantastic experience, and, and I should say, and they're all slightly different. So, again, there's no one path. Uh, to transformation, there's no one formula. Um, uh, but there were, to come back to your question, you know, there were some common elements, um, and that's what I hope people will take from the book. That uh, one, you know, tragedy is not final. You can come out the other end. Um, and also, and two, um, you know, what what was uh, amazing about these people is that they didn't just survive. Uh, you know, often we talk about surviving or getting through, but they actually thrive. So in each and every one of them, in some way or other, went on not just to get through, but to actually get better. They didn't just bounce back, they bounced forward. And this, you know, I guess the, the common theme in the book is what, what I refer to as post-traumatic growth. Uh, not post-traumatic stress, um, but post-traumatic growth, where we use trauma, we use adversity, uh, we use the challenges in life 
to actually become better, stronger, wiser. Um, and all of us, even if we haven't faced or don't face an enormous tragedy, um, we do face adversity each and every day. You know, stuff mm-hmm. goes wrong. And again, if we can learn from that. So, that, so that's, you know, the common elements were that these people all, they learned from it. Um, they didn't want to just be a survivor. They wanted to be a thriver. Uh, there were some other things, like all of them in different ways had, had really strong social support. And we know from the research that it's important. So resilience or growth isn't, and it's not just about me being strong. Uh, yes, I want to be as strong as I can, but it's also about utilizing that, you know, that social support, those loved ones, those friends, the family members around us, because that's, again, in, in each of the stories in some way or other, there was a mum, there was a dad, there was a husband, a wife, a friend who... Who uh, you know? Who was there for them? Um, so that's important. Um, they also had that uh, you, know, you referred to mindset earlier. That belief that that I can do this. Um, it might be hard. It might take a while. And again, none of the transformations happened overnight. In fact, most of them, or quite a few of them, took years. Um, and that's, you know, that's important to state. It's not magic. It's not <laughs> not like waving a magic wand or taking a you know a magic pill. Um, you know, some of these people they worked really really hard over a prolonged period of time. But throughout all of it, they they had that belief that, you know, I'll do it. Uh, well, I, I want to do it. I will do it. I want to touch upon that Sorry. because I think oftentimes, like, you know, when I, I mean, I love uh, transformational movies, right? I love when a movie just takes me on a journey from a, from a, someone who a tragic hero goes into some, you know, amazing obstacle they had to go through and then come out of it on the other side, especially when it comes to sports. And, you know, and I love books like mm. this where, you know, you take it, the adversity and change it into triumph. Uh, the one thing, though, however, um, that, Usually, what sometimes gets lost in the translation in in terms of a movie or a book is is that it's the the spatial time uh, thing, um, yeah. because you know we forget that yeah we see the, the the what was happening we see the tragedy and we see the outcome but we forget like that period of time could have taken years and within yeah. that period of time there's the ups and downs that the person has struggled that which we don't kind of dwell into and so um, what what makes it like in your opinion and, and doing this research like what how does someone sustain that longevity, that resiliency through that period of time? Because it's not, it's not always good. Yeah, a really good point, really important point. And I think if I had to, to boil it down uh, to, to a word, I'd, I'd say hope. Hmm. Um, hope is the, the fuel that can drive people through difficult times. Hope is the, the motivation that gets you up during that really bad day, that keeps you going after that you know, another knockback or whatever. And by hope, I mean... Well, it's, it's similar to what we talked about a bit earlier, I think, that positive vision. No matter how dark things seem today, no matter how horrible yesterday was, tomorrow or next week, it, it's got to get better. Um, and it's very hard to hold on to that at times. Um, in fact, again, if you know, if you read all of those stories or talked to all of those people, I'm sure, you know, I know they had days when they found it really, really hard to hold on to that belief, to, to see some sort of positive outcome. But in some way or other, they were able to hold on to that uh, or find it again. Or, as I said, their social supports, their loved ones were able to, um, you know, remind them that, um, you know, this, uh, well, I guess that, that famous quote, you know, this too shall pass. Mm. No matter how bad it is, um, you know, most things don't last forever. And if you do the right sorts of things, you can get through them a bit quicker than ever. <laughs> I love that. I love that quote too, Tim. That's one of my absolute favourites. So I'm glad you shared that. Um, I, I, you mentioned before about 
tragedies and how, you know, some of the people have had really big tragedies, other people have just had kind of everyday tragedies. And I think sometimes for people, it can be, you know, they, they almost don't give themselves permission to, mm. um, you know, for their tragedy to be enough to warrant taking the time out or making the effort to get it or perhaps other people around them don't see their tragedy as being big enough or bad enough you know so and i guess the point i'm trying to make is i, I think that the you know the the perspective on the tragedy is really around how it affects that individual person and that whatever you're going through that that's okay and and that it's sort of worth working on is, is that you know do you find that people have trouble with that sometimes tim oh definitely it's a really good point again and and that's why specifically why I chose the variety of people in the book, um, because I wanted there to be different stories, different voices, different journeys, different, uh, dare I say, severities of trauma. Um, mm. Although I don't think we should ever compare. It's not, it shouldn't ever be yeah, a competition. Exactly, yeah. that mine's worse than yours or yours. Although I think you're right. That's what sometimes people do. Some people, oh, I, uh, so, for example, one of, the, um, you know, one of the stories in the book is about a woman who who lost her, you know, her father, her hus- ex-husband, and two children in one horrific incident. Um, another, you know, these other two guys lost their best mate to suicide. So, that, you know, there are stories of death. There are stories of uh, cancer survivors. You know, some pretty serious stuff. But there's also a woman, Justine, who uh, didn't really have any serious trauma, but she um, experienced something that a lot of us have experienced, which is just being absolutely bored with her life, mm. stuck in a corporate job, absolutely miserable. So. You know, you, you might not necessarily call that a tragedy, but it's a common challenge that many people face. And in mm. fact, when I was talking to Justine about being part of the book, she said, you know, I'm not bad enough. You know, my, my trauma wasn't. But, it, but that's not really the point. Um, it's, it's a, you know, if it's affecting you, then it's an issue. If it's causing you distress yeah. or um, – and uh, so, yeah, I totally agree. It's important not to, not to compare. Um, and it's important that we all give ourselves that space if and when we need it, whatever that situation might be. You know, one of the things that you talked uh, about this, like, you know, going through the tragedies, and one thing that's common, I love that you brought that up, is the, the support group, you know, the relationships that the, these people have built um, before the tragedy happened. And, and, you know, I imagine that's one of the key things to kind of keep them going and, and create hope is, to, is to always being able to lean on someone. And, and so what are some of the other practical things that we could take away on a, on a daily basis? You know, you know whether we have uh, obstacles or, or adversities on a daily basis, what can we do? Do to you know ensure us to kind of stay focused on the path of you know this journey that we're going through of mm. what we call life um, to to you know, you know not the pursuit of happiness but like also you know continue mm. looking at happiness in, in a better light. Yeah, um, well we've actually touched on most of the important things, but just to just to sort of recap, um, uh, as I said, and and it's important. You know, we don't want people to wait until they hit the wall. We don't want them to, to yeah. wait until they burn out. You know, so the, the more we do these things on a regular daily basis, the, the stronger we'll be, the more prepared we'll be for if and when something bad does happen. But, but look, you know, as we've talked about, certainly setting positive goals, having, you know, having a meaning, meaningful pursuits in our life is, is very important. Um, uh, one thing we haven't touched on but it's very important is physical health and well-being. So, you know, mm. exercise, diet, good sleep, meditation, those things are, uh, are vitally important. You know, happiness isn't just a psychological phenomenon. It's you know, the, the psychological and the physical are intimately linked, obviously. So, so all of those, things, you know, exercise uh, particularly is a, is a potent uh, antidepressant and a, a powerful stress buster. Um, fostering an optimistic attitude and, and fostering hope, which is a, a skill that we can, you know, we can practice that each and every day. And, uh, and as he said, you know, building those positive relationships, that's, 
that's probably the most important thing we can do for health, well-being, for longevity, is foster friendships, um, you know, develop and maintain them. We don't necessarily need hundreds or thousands of friends. You know, it's not like you know Facebook or or, or Twitter or Instagram where you know <laughs> you need these massive, massive numbers of followers. But you know, just a good handful of of and, and literally that's all it is—a handful. You really only need two or three. Or even one or two, two or three. Um, if you've got more, better. But just a small group of people you can really be honest with, who can you can trust, they trust you. Yeah. Hey, Tim, that brings Sorry, up one yeah. question. I know we haven't got much time left, but I'd love to for you to talk a little bit about what's been the impact of social media on this. You know, it, it seems to be causing people to look a lot more for external validation, perhaps than internal validation. Is that having a significant impact on people's happiness? Yeah, look, it's a really good question, and I'll try to keep it brief because I think we don't have a lot of time but the, the reality is um, it, it's it's still so early we don't really know I think you know we forget sometimes because it's so pervasive in our lives and we forget that it's really only been around at a, at a higher level for you know less than a decade really so from an academic point of view we, we're still not a hundred percent sure but we are at, you know there is a lot of research a lot of research and we are answering some of the questions and I guess like a lot of things um, at the risk of sounding trite, it's good and bad. <laughs> yeah. There's good and bad with everything. So unfortunately, the focus is often on the bad. Um, and you've hit on a couple of important points. You know, social comparison can be very damaging, particularly when we're comparing you know, our worst bits with other people's best bits. Um, there's, you know, there can be problems with overuse of technology, particularly with the younger people. There can be you know, cyberbullying. But what some of the research is suggesting is that there are, actually, that there are probably almost certainly more good things than bad things. So... You know, what we've got to remember is that it's a great way to stay connected with people. Yeah. It's a great way to keep up to date. There's some very positive influences. So, so, so joining again, the Wellness Guys page is okay, Tim. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you get your thumbs up from Doctor Happy. Yeah, yeah excellent. <laughs> excellent. Thank God. <laughs> Uh, Dr. Tim, thank you so much for your time and, and your expertise. And uh, I really highly encourage people to go check out your book. Uh, it's called Transformation, Turning Tragedy into Triumph by Dr. Tim Sharp. Uh, you can pick it up from HarperCollins. Um, you know, all the other two sites that you might want to find, Dr. Happy, is uh, drhappy.com.au. Uh, that's where you'll find some information on uh, Tim. And also the happinessinstitute.com. And you'll be able to talk. Um, that, that's everything about applying the principles of positive psychology. So uh, I'll put the show notes. Uh, so I sort of put these links in the show notes uh, so you can actually get easy access to it. Uh, Dr. Tim, thank you so much for your insights on happiness. And uh, I just love that conversation. It's been a fascinating uh, topic. Mm-hmm. Thanks for having me. Guys, uh, make sure you go to, uh, talk about social media, let's go to facebook.com slash The Wellness Guys and The Wellness Couch. Make sure you like us there. But more importantly, let's continue this conversation. What makes you happy? What makes you tick? What do you, uh, what do, you do to keep, uh, keep staying on top of being happy? Um, while you're there, also make sure you share this podcast with your friends and families and other strangers you think need a happiness update. And subscribe to us on iTunes while you're there. Please give us a great rating and also leave a comment below. Until next week, begin creating wellness into your lives. Lead by example. Let's change the world's health together. Join us next week on The Wellness Guy Show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.